Hello and welcome to episode 7 of The Bible and Me podcast. This episode is hosted by Nigel Watts and our guest is Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Sally shares her journey as an author and as a child of God. The Bible and Me podcast is a series of exciting conversations with men and women of faith, sharing how the Bible has impacted their lives. Well, I am delighted to be welcoming Sally Lloyd-Jones to the Bible and Me podcast today. Sally is a New York Times best-selling writer of inspirational books for children and has won many awards for her work. Uh, one of her books, The Jesus Storybook Bible, has sold over two and a half million copies and has been translated into 33 languages. And uh, in fact, 2017 is the 10th anniversary of that book. Sally was born in Uganda, uh, moved back to the UK for schooling and university, and then worked in children's book publishing before moving to the United States in 1989, from where she joins me today by Skype. Uh, Sally began writing full-time in the year 2000. Uh, She loves sport, running, cycling, kayaking, movies, and I see, Sally, that you love strong Welsh tea as well. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you for having me. Lovely oh, to talk with you. Oh, um, Sally, you write books to encourage children to find out more about Jesus. Uh, how did you become a follower of Jesus yourself? Um, I became a Christian as a child. So uh, I was four when I became a Christian. My parents were in East Africa, and my dad had become a believer through John Stott, who had come to the University of Nairobi to do a mission. And my dad's colleague in Shell invited him at the last minute because there were people who were supposed to go and they couldn't go. And my dad got invited and he heard the gospel for the first time, even though he had been going to chapel in Wales. He'd never heard the gospel and he became Christian then. And my mother became a Christian six months later through reading John Stott's Basic Christianity and prayed the prayer at the end of that book. So I owe a lot to John Stott and as as do many. But uh, my dad then was going to a conference and he heard a a missionary talk about how she had invited her little daughter to become a Christian. So my dad thought, oh, well, then I'll do that with Sally. So he came home and I was tricycling around on my tricycle. This was in Nairobi. And he said, Sally, darling, would you like to become, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart? And I said, no, thank you. And I tricycled off. (laughs) I love how polite I was, but I also love the fact that I actually, I think it's important to remember children, they're not just blindly making decisions just because the parent wants them to. So I said no. Fortunately, God doesn't, isn't proud. <laughs> and I got another chance. And later that same year, I became a believer. And so as far as I can remember, there was never a time when Jesus wasn't my best friend, which I, I count as a great honor now. I used to think of it as a terrible disadvantage because I didn't have a very good testimony. I I didn't think because I couldn't say, you know, I used to do all these all these fill in the blank dramatic things and now and then I became a Christian. So I used to think that that was a disadvantage. Now I realize what an honor and especially given what I'm what God's given me to do to be a Christian from a, a very a tiny child has been a huge Blessing and an equipping, I, I think. Yes, and 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 how how would you describe your your growing up as a as a young girl and then as a teenager being a believer? So 
So, yeah, so I always knew Jesus was my best friend, but I really wasn't quite so sure about God. I used to think, you know, I always knew Jesus was there for me, but I used, I had this idea that I think a lot of people do, and I, I know children do, that somehow God wasn't the one who was all about love. He was the one all about punishment and rules. And so I had this idea that, and I had this really, I think, till quite late, in like into my 20s, where I thought somehow... God was the one who was a hard taskmaster and authoritarian and that I had to behave for him to love me. I had to, you know, behave like the Bible, you know, have these rules in the Bible that I need to follow so he'll love me or be like the the heroes in the Bible. I I remember I used to imagine myself when I was about eight or or nine, I'd imagine myself being thrown to the the lions. (laughs) And I would think, well, I can't, and I try and, sort of muster up the bravery that would make me say, okay, I don't mind. But I, never, I, always, <laughs> I always minded, and I, I knew I wasn't brave enough. So then I thought, well, then God c- couldn't be pleased with me because you're only, God only loves people who are brave, like oh. David, or oh. really distorted view of what, you know. So it was a funny combination of knowing Jesus loved me but not being quite sure about God. And then I spent a year in Paris studying at the Sorbonne, and I went to a church called St. Michael's, which was the embassy church. And I met, for the first time, I met other believers who were actually people I'd want to be friends with. Mostly at university, when I first went to university, I didn't really meet anyone who I'd want to be friends with. I just felt like, you know, so that was the other false idea, that as a Christian, you've got to somehow be a loser and that that's what is just required of you. Mm. It's a terrible idea. Mm. And in my, but again, I was only 18. What did I know? And then I, I go to Paris and I actually meet people that are filled with joy, people I'd want to be friends with. Yep. I just, I suppose, found my tribe in a way. And suddenly it was all very attractive. And I realized, wait a minute, they've got a joy that I want. And I, although I was a believer, I think at that point it went from my, it went deeper. And I think I then started not, not, not having this idea that God was against me realizing he was for me. But mm. it's been a, a gradual journey, truthfully, as, as it is for many, I oh, think. And, of course. and then coming to, to America and being under the teaching of Dr. Tim Keller, then grace really, I think that's what made a huge difference as well. Yeah, Suddenly well, realizing actually the Father is the one just as much as Jesus that you see the love. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so, we'll talk more about yeah. that in a, in a moment. Um, you did quite a lot of moving around um, as a child, uh, different countries in Africa and the UK, and uh, you've already talked about uh, your time in Paris. You eventually went to university, studied art history. Why did yeah. you choose art history? And um, how, looking back, has this degree helped you in what you now do? Yeah, that's a great question, because I, I just studied, basically I chose it because I liked it. And I was good at it. So it was either that or theology. But I thought, well, art history, I'll, I like that sound of that. So I, I did art history and everyone told me it would lead, lead nowhere. You know, <laughs> the idea being that if you did art history, it's going to be very hard to find a job. Well, I just went ahead and did it anyway. <laughs> Part of it was because I knew I was going to get a year abroad in Paris. So that was an attraction to that. But what's so amazing is art history has actually led me directly to what God has for me to do because I work in picture books, which is their stories told in two languages, image and word. Yeah. And it's actually been crucial to my job 
that I'm so visual and that I know how something should look because unless the book has the right look and the illustration is right, you as the writer don't stand a chance because the illustration is like the front door of the book. Mm. So now, all these years later, I realize it was the perfect preparation for what God had for me, probably more perfect than even studying English. <laughs> so isn't that cool? That is amazing. And of, course, that. and of course, you would have had no idea at the time that you were studying that degree that that was going to be what God had planned for you. What, I mean, no, looking back and think, no idea. thinking about that, what, does, what, is that, what have you learned about God from that, just from that? I think, well, I try and say this to my nieces and nephews is, you know, I, I come in as the not parent, so I can kind of be the slightly rebellious one. But I'm always <laughs> telling them, you know, school isn't it, and all your grades, yes, they're important, but they're not. God is bigger than all that. And I think the thing that was amazing to me that I try and tell them is, even though I struggled with thinking I was clever enough or anything like that, there was something that was guiding I know it was God, but it was something that made me think, I really want to do art history. I love it. I'm going to do what I love. Mm. And I didn't, that was in spite of myself. So I like to just tell them, make sure, it may not be your job, but make sure the things that you love, you don't just put aside. Because if you, if you're as blessed, if you're lucky enough, like I feel I'm so blessed, I get to do something I love. And as someone said, and I don't remember who it is, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. <laughs> and you know i know that's not always true for everyone but i think that the the truth is we need to keep whatever we loved as a child and that's an interesting thing that has guided me too is whatever you loved as a child before you became what everyone said you should be like when you're about five or six before you're too self-conscious often that will guide you towards the thing that brings you joy brings you alive bring is going to be the thing that can actually be very powerful and you want to make sure you have that in your life, whether it's your work or it's got to be somewhere in your life. So for me, I loved, I loved making up cartoons and stuff like that and having fun. So anyway, that's a long answer. No, that is, that, is no, that is wonderful. And that's so, so true. I think doing things that you love. I remember uh, recently, well, a few years ago, I was at the Keswick Convention and, um, and uh, you were talking about um, John Stott, and uh, obviously he was—he mm-hmm. he used to go to the Keswick Convention a lot. But this particular year, there was a guy called Alec Matia, who's I think written one of the best, um, I think, commentaries on Isaiah. And he was giving the mm. morning talks at Keswick this particular year. And he was asked mm. this question before he spoke for the first morning. Uh, he said, Look, "You know, you're you're in your 80s now." Uh, do you have any regrets looking back on your life? And he thought for a moment. He said, you know what? I used to play tennis, but I gave up. I wish I'd never given up. I used to love it. And I have to confess, yeah. I, did, I didn't hear anything else he said that week because <laughs> I, I love oh. tennis myself. And, and, you know, I play a lot of tennis and I love tennis, but I was sort of thinking, well, should I continue? Should I not? And that was almost like a, a word from the Lord of encouragement to Isn't continue. Isn't that lovely? It, it really was. And I love that. It's lovely that that's important to the Lord because I think we can well Annie Dillard said this to her writing students when they were graduating she said don't ever get yourself in a position where you're only reading and writing because you'll fall into a depression and I haven't forgotten that either it's the same kind of thing it's like we can be so limited that we think the more we do of the one thing that's going to be better yeah but it's out of our the richness of our life and our whole life that the fruit comes and yeah I, I just think that there's a reason, and I say this to my nieces and nephews, there's a reason you particularly love that, 
that whatever that thing is. <laughs> and I said to them, I would hate that. That would terrify me. But why do you love it? <laughs> you know, it's because probably it's giving you a clue as to what God's equipped you to do. Isn't we don't it? know what it is yet, but, yeah. you know, don't abandon it. because, And even, it doesn't have to be, you know, it, like tennis, just for the joy of it. He's, in, he's all about that, isn't he? Not all sort of got to be a reason why we do it. Yes, no, I think that's, I'm sure that's going to um, be a word for people listening to this, uh, to encourage some folks who maybe put something down that they, that they love to take it up again. So that's wonderful. Now, you worked in children's publishing before moving to the States in 1989. Uh, why, why did you move to America? Um, and how did God lead you to writing full time? Oh, so that's a good, yeah. So I came to America because I saw a job advertised in the bookseller, which is the, you know, it advertises all the book, all the, it shows the reviews and everything, and it has a section of jobs. And I, I saw it, I was working in London, and I saw this ad, uh, an advert, and it said, senior editor in Joshua Morris in Connecticut, America. Now, I'd never been to America, but my parents, my dad worked for an um, American company at that point, so I knew, and I'd met lots of Americans growing up in all our travels. We'd met loads of navigators. Yes. And they were always lovely people. So there were lots of reasons why I thought I was friendly towards the idea of America. But I also thought, okay, so I, so I applied to this job, and then I got it. And I did terrible Bible roulette that you're never supposed to do. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> but it's so interesting because God totally used that, even though I know you're not supposed to do it. Again, you know, God isn't proud. So I do this Bible roulette and I have, I'm given the verse, um, stretch your tent curtains wide and don't yeah. hold back. Yeah. Enlarge the place of your territory. Yeah. And I, I now look back and I see that's exactly what he did. And um, Now, just to so be clear, when, when you say Bible roulette, you mean you, like, you just open the Bible and just sort of put your finger <laughs> on a verse? Is that, is that what yeah, you're talking about? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, that's exactly it. And it's <laughs> dreadful and you should never do it, ever. But I did it and... Uh, but that was one thing God used. And then the other thing he used was he, I got the idea in my head, okay, if I don't go, um, and I'd never been to America and I was just going to go, but I thought if I don't go, this is how the story will go. Once upon a time, I nearly went to America, the end. And I thought, well, that's a dreadful story. At least I have to go and find out if I like it. If I hate it, I'll come straight back. And I also thought, I'm only going to go for a year. So what's the big deal? Yes. And I, at that point, thought I... I was working in children's publishing and I thought it's probably not a good idea to stay away from London. Is this the crazy thought thinking? Yeah. You know, again, too small. I, I thought, you know, if I stay away too, too long from London, I won't be able to work in children's books. Yep. I don't know where I got that idea, but that, that was my thinking as I came. So I came for a year and here I am still here. <laughs> <laughs> and how did, how did God lead you into writing full time? Well, I always loved writing, but I thought I wasn't clever enough. And I thought, oh, and I didn't know it was children's books. I just loved writing. So I'd write sketches for youth in churches. And I loved doing that because I loved acting. So I would write them and we'd act them out. And they'd be like sermon illustrations. That was really fun. I'd also write dreadful moaning poems when I was a teenager. But I always loved writing. So, And then I took a playwriting class. But I always thought I'm not good enough to write. So it's always for someone else. And then um, I was working in children's books. So I ended up, because this job I applied for in America was a packager. It wasn't a publisher. And the, a packager, in case anyone doesn't know, is 
someone that a publisher goes to to create a book for them. They may be overwhelmed with too many projects and they go to a packager who specializes in a certain thing. And this company I worked for specialized in unusual format books. So they would have flat books, books that squeak, all kinds of things. So all that to say, when you're an editor of that kind of book, the content is the the second thing. The first thing is the format. So the the publisher would come to me and say, we've got a book of flaps. We need to do four in the series, and you've got to come up with what will the, what will the stories be. So I had to start coming up with stories. So I, I started writing through the back door without really realizing, and it was children's books. So I started writing these unusual format books, and I was always motivated to try and get the best artist, make it as good as I could make it. And yeah. it was like a workout. I was getting trained without realizing. And were they Christian then, books? You know, were they Christian books? Not, no, not at first, because I had this whole plan. If there's going to be a theme to this whole interview, is that my plan was completely not what God's plan was, but his plan was better than I could have imagined. So my limited, again, not thinking big enough, I thought I'd been brought up in the church. I've been around Christians all my life. I want to be trained in the world and a general publisher because I knew enough to know if it works in the general world, it will reach every, because the gen, unfortunately, that's where you get the most often in publishing anyway, that's the expertise is in the general world. So I yeah. thought I want to be trained by the best publishers, which happen to be the ones not in the Christian world. Right. So that was my idea. So what God does on me is so funny. I'm working for a general publisher. The publisher there, he knows I'm a Christian. So he gives me, one day he gives me a Bible story book to edit. And I think, oh, okay. But then I keep being given more and more. And eventually... <laughs> So God changes the job on me. So I'm in a general publisher, and I become publish head of the children's Christian publishing line. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, and which is funny, isn't it? You just can't. It's like Jonah; you can't escape. Yes. God has a plan, and you better fit in. But you know what was lovely? It was all to bless me. And what it, and what I found was, by combining the passions of my faith and my love of children and my love of the word, you know, the word and words and images, it was a wonderful mix because then everything I was doing was my passion. So it actually made it just gel and everything worked together. And then because I was working on that, I started to get a name for Christian books. And specifically, one of the books I worked on was Baby's First Bible. And it was a big success. It has a handle. It was one of the one of those hits that you can't predict. Yep. And I got a name for doing Bibles, and that was crucial because that's what led me to do the Jesus Storybook Bible. So it all, in this amazing tapestry, was a plan that I had no idea about. Amazing. Uh, I was going to ask... Which is encouraging, uh, isn't it? Because it means you don't know what you're doing, but God knows. Well, it is. No, and... and, uh, you know that saying. You know how do you how do you make God laugh by telling him your plans? You know? <laughs> yes, yes, it's so true. <laughs> and, and we do we do we say, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to do this this month, and next year I'm going to do this, and not realizing actually yeah. that God's got completely other other things for us. Now, yeah. um, you mentioned a little bit about. I was going to ask you how how did the Jesus Storybook come about? Uh, you've mentioned a little mm-hmm. bit about that, and why why do you think um, God has taken that book? and just done incredible things with it, and it's reached so far and wide. So how, how did it come about? Um, okay. And then why, is, why do you think God's taken it and used it in the way that he has? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful, a beautiful you know, adventure of watch, watching that book. And 
the way the Jesus Storybook Bible, the way it came about was, um, so I was working in children's publishing. I'd got a name for working on Christian books, and specifically I had a Bible that had really become very successful. Even though I didn't have my name on it, they knew, people knew in the business that that, that was mine, that I'd worked on, and I was head of Christian publishing. So um, I got laid off in 2000, which we can talk about later, but I, I, despite my best efforts and all my prayers, I got laid off. And I had no income. I had an apartment in New York. I had no 401k or pension or health care. So it was kind of a, a bit of a scary time, and I, I desperately needed money. Yep. So, But I knew my calling was, I'd always felt my calling was to all children. I knew it wasn't just to the church. It might include the church, but my passion was to reach a child that would never come anywhere near a, a church. Yep. And to tell them stories, whether they're Bible stories or not, just to bring joy to children. I knew that was my calling. Mm. So anyway, I... Um, some agents approached me and said, you've written a younger um, Bible and you did really well. What about writing an older one? And to be honest, I wasn't really into it, but I had to earn some money. I yes. needed the money. Yes. So really, truthfully, God used that need of money to put me in the right place because I had no vision for what this book was going to be. I really don't. I, as I started work on it, I thought, I'll do a good job and it'll be great, but then I'll move on to the books I'm supposed to be doing, right? Yep. That was my attitude. <laughs> but as, as I start, and I love telling people that it was money that God used, so there's nothing wrong with needing to money, you know? Yep. So I, he got me in a position where I'm working on this book that I wouldn't have chosen. If I had not needed the money, I would have thought, no, that's not my calling, because I had no vision that a Bible could reach everyone. I thought it was just for the church. Yes. So I start working on it, and I start researching it. I'm listening to sermons. I'm doing a tape a big like 40 tape class on the progress of redemption to understand how every story connects and i'm doing all this research and i would say there was one day when people say where did the idea come from yep. this is where it came from one day if you'd asked me i would have said i'm going to do a good job it's going to be great but i'm going to move on the next day i would have said to you oh wait a minute if i give this book everything this could be amazing and then from then on i wasn't in it for any kind of money i was doing it because i loved it and because God had set my imagination on fire. So I believe God put me in the place where I was needing to be. He had me do all the research, which was like a mini revival, and then suddenly gave me what this book could be. And I, I remember thinking, wait a minute, if, if I wrote this like my hero would write it, C.S. Lewis, what could this be like? And then I thought, what if I wrote it like a novel with cliffhangers so you can't put it down and I just tell this incredible because the Bible is one story yeah. what if I write this book and in the way that I wish I'd had a book like this when I was mm. little mm. to tell children you know mm. that God loves them mm. Mm. Um, and that's where it came from so I really believe God ignited my imagination and gave me the book and from then on I was in it all 100% and you could have not paid me and I would have wanted to do it <laughs> it was a passion you know <laughs> Yes, exactly. It goes back to that passion. Yeah, but that came out of a difficult time. You said needing money, um, without a job, without yeah. an income. God used that actually to direct you to 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 what became yes. that book. Incredible. Incredible. And, it's, and you know, my first book that I wrote was um, something called Handbag Friends, which I'm still very proud of. And it's it's a little handbag shaped book, and it's got adventures and char and children adore it. And everyone said when I wrote it, oh yes, the publisher said it. Everyone this is going to be big and you're going to do, it's going to be TV and film. And none of that happened. And I remember it was terribly disappointing. But now I look back and think 
if that had happened, I never would have needed the money. I wouldn't have. So it's all this. You can now. I can now look back and thank him that it didn't do what everyone said. Oh. Because, you know. So yeah. that's. You know, we're in the middle of our stories, and sometimes we judge them, and we really don't. You don't judge a story in the middle of a story. You don't know the story till the end. So, mm-hmm. you know. I, I wish the books had been around when I was a, you know, seven, eight year old. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. But, so why? Yeah. Here's a, here's the next question. Why has God taken that book and just, you know, done what He's done with it? Why do you think that is? I. It's a mystery, isn't it? Because if we knew that it would be great, wouldn't we? We could plan it. But um, I look at it and I think, well, it was it was a, an incredible privilege to write it, but it was also a very hard thing, not just the writing, but every stage. It was like everything went wrong that could go wrong. And I think, you know, we had three different artists. I didn't have a team that really got me and what I was doing. I do now. All those people have left. And, you know, it was because the book was so original in that, in that way, it wasn't really, it would be hard for anyone to, get on board with what it really was so it was a real struggle and all that to say there's no one in this process who can say well because i did this that's why god it's more like unless god had stepped in this book never would have come out it's like Mm. my mother says it's like moses in the bulrushes god protected it and i think the struggle has ensured that no one can take credit you know the way i look at it is i had to give everything i had to be excellent in my craft i think that's really important to say you have to give everything that God's equipped you. You have to do your work. It's not easy and you have to put everything into it. But then what God does with that is up to him. And it's almost like, I think of it like the little boy's lunch. He gave Jesus everything he had. Yes. And Jesus turned around and multiplied it. So it's all, it's all God's doing. And I stand there and I think how amazing. And I'm so grateful, God, you didn't answer any, you didn't answer the prayers I in the way I was asking, you know, <laughs> thank you for this book. And, you know, it's just very powerful to see how he's using a children's book. The other thing I'd say is it seemed none of us knew this would happen. Thank goodness. Otherwise, I'd, you know, if I was writing and thinking that theologians would read it, I'd be so terrified. I never would have written it. But <laughs> I think almost because I wasn't, I, w- I was so dependent on God in a way. I, I Sometimes I'd sit down to write the book. And I'd think, how can I mess around with the Bible? What am I doing? Like the task of it was so huge. So I'd get in front of my computer and I'd be so desperate, I'd say, um, and, you know, a friend of mine says, when I say something like, you know, this is so hard. And she said, well, I go, well, all we can do is pray. And she goes, has it come to that? (laughs) And it's, you know, it's so ridiculous. We should be there already. But anyway, God got me to the point where I was so desperate, realizing the enormity of what I was doing. I'd sit in front of my computer and I'd say, God, you've got me into this mess. So unless you do it, it won't get done. So you better do it. Almost like, not cross, but sort of challenging him. God, unless you do it, it won't get done. And then I'd start writing. And I've realized then, actually, that's how I should always be about all of my books. And why is that the last straw? Why do I have to get desperate to get there? Yeah. Yeah, it should be the first place we go to. I mean, I was going to ask you a question about the whole you know, doctrine because, of course, you're taking huge stories in the Bible and you're 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 yeah. you're writing them in a way that 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 children can accept and and understand. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I, one of the question I had was how do you how do you make sure you stay on you know you stay on on the truth on the, on on doctrine yeah. and all that? I mean, do you have yeah. a sort of doctrinal expert that says you can't write yeah. that because I, you're you're off message there? Yeah. You know, right? I have I absolutely rely on. Um, and in fact, 
Tim Keller's wife was our theological reviewer. So that was fantastic. And what I had to do with every story was choose one. You have to make it very simple. So obviously in every story, you could find all kinds of ways that Jesus is in that story, in the, like, for instance, in the Old Testament. Um, but I'd have to choose, my whole vision was, I'm, I'm painting a portrait in this storybook of Jesus to, so that the child can meet him in its, on its pages. Mm. So every story, I'd, I'd choose one facet. So, okay, this story of Joseph, that's pointing to the prince, the young prince. Or the story of David is pointing to the great hero. Mm. I had to choose one facet, and that's quite hard. You, you've got so many possible ways to go, but you have to distill it down to one thing yes. when it's so short of a story. And so that was one of the things that helped me. Wonderful. Now, um, and the other thing I, yeah. I found helpful was someone shared. Sorry, someone shared what Luther had um, since it's his anniversary too. It is. Um, it is. It <laughs> he, is. And in fact, I'm doing he, a I'm doing a course on the Reformation myself actually at the moment in a, oh, in a local fantastic. church, which is fascinating. But yeah. Yeah. Well, someone said when, and this was early on when I was starting to work on the Storybook Bible before I really had a vision for it. Some a friend happened to say to me at a party we were at, I said, he said, what are you working on? And I told him, and he said, oh, I love that story about Luther when he was translating the Bible into German. He said, shall we, what kind of language should we use? Should we go into the universities and listen to the academics and use that sort of lofty language? And he said, no, we have to go into the homes and listen to a mother speaking to her children. Oh. And I know God brought that friend along to say that to me right at the start, because without even realizing, that's what I ended up. I ended up, as a mother speaking to her children. And what I realized that did was it gave me a narrator. And because I have a narrator, I can make funny jokes that aren't messing with the Bible. <laughs> and that was, you know, that was a huge thing that God led me to, because I think that's partly what makes the book work, because I can do asides and I can include the reader. And I'm not, I'm a storyteller, yes. which I think is, it makes it better that way. Yeah. So. What are some of the stories you've heard about where the book's got to and what God's done with it? I mean, you know, uh, different, yeah. maybe different countries or circumstances. Yeah. Or well, we've heard, um, because it's simple, it's the perfect language. You know, if someone's learning a sec English as a second language, it's the great way for them to learn English as a second language. So we've heard it being used that way. Heard that it's been used, uh, Japanese businessmen are studying it before work. <laughs> I mean, Amazing. you never would predict such things. Um, it's been used with Chinese prostitutes. It's been used in high-security prisons. Oh. It's been used um, with Alzheimer patients, because, again, because it's so simple. Yeah. And autistic children respond to it, especially when they read the text, when they're looking at the book and they're listening to the audio by David Suchet, that they become very focused. I've also heard, obviously, the, you know, that blew me away was that it was a set text of a university and it was also it's also used by theologians and by pastors helping them preach so it's really oh. way beyond you would ever imagine and that's again i had no idea how big god was thinking you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so fantastic it is fantastic and and obviously this year is the 10th anniversary of the book and you're coming um to the uk on tour uh, very soon yes, it's very um, exciting so um where are you going are you going all around the uk um yes we're going to Belfast yep. on Friday. Uh, I go on the second and the first event is on the third. And I'm there for a week. Of November we're, we're talk talking about. Yeah. Of November, yes. 
Um, so we're in Belfast for a, a week. Then we go to Glasgow on um, November the 8th and do something at the Faith Mission store in Glasgow. And then we go to Birmingham on the 9th and we do something at the CLC store in Birmingham. And then we go to London and we do an event at St. Paul's CLC um, bookshop. And the thing about Birmingham and London is that Jago is joining us. So I'll get to tell stories and he's going to show you how to draw scary giants and how, you know, it's fascinating. He shows how if you put lots of teeth or you put, if you put big teeth or tiny teeth, the, bis- the difference that makes and how scary the giant is. So it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? It is amazing. It is wonderful. I mean, you mentioned there, uh, Jago, you are connected uh, not only to, uh, to great uh, illustrators, but also to talented musicians as well. Why, why is music and illustration important to you in what you do? Um, well, I know it's, it, again, the music was a big surprise, but now it, I look back and I think, no, it, of course it was, makes sense. Because a, a songwriter does very much the same thing I do, which is distill a story down into its simplest form. You've got limited words. And also the other thing about a song is it's a, like, like a picture book. It's a story told in two languages. It's word and music, whereas mine is word and image. So when you combine them, what's been fantastic I, I went on tour I mean it's like on an actual tour bus so I'm overexcited about the tour bus so I'm really you know I go with these musicians who've lived on tour buses and they don't think twice about it but I'm just so overexcited about so you, the bunk so you're like a mini rock star are you I am I know I'm obnoxious I, I, <laughs> I think they just laugh at me but it's quite nice um, so like this spring I went with Amy Grant and Ellie Holcomb on a bus and we went on a 12 city tour and I told stories I read from my work I told my story of growing up in Africa and boarding school and how I all these all these lovely stories I could get to tell celebrating the 10th anniversary and they would tell their stories and music and it was this lovely when you combine word image and music it has this power it makes it more like theater I, I suppose and what's so interesting is I've always loved acting so again now it makes sense oh I get to not be scared I'm not scared when I'm doing that I love it so it's just been a lovely um surprise and a lovely part of the work God's given me that I just love yeah part of the journey wonderful um yeah I want to ask you uh why why do you have such a heart for children and 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 what is the essence of what you are seeking to communicate to them through your writing Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. I don't know. It's a mystery. I think um, I just understand children. And I always, when I'm walking around the streets of New York, it's always their, their eyes I catch. We like to have this little moment. I don't pay any attention to the parents. I, it's just me and the child. We just have this eye contact. And whenever I have that, I feel like God reminding me, they're my boss. They're who I work for. And I better be really good because the responsibility is really high. It's also a great privilege. And I think... Uh, an editor of mine in uh, in the general publishing said something that helped me. She said I, she thinks there are two types of children's book writers. There's the one who is around children, gets their ideas from children. And I'm always loving to be around children, and I do get ideas. But she said there's the second type, and that's the one who's a child inside. And the minute she said that, <laughs> I knew I was the second one. <laughs> and so I think it's partly that. I think I'm a child inside. And so I really, sometimes I have to translate to the parents what the child's thinking. 
And I don't know what where that came from. God just put it in me. And because I'm a child inside, I just find them so amazing. I love them. I love, I love, they almost, the thing about children is they don't really know I'm a grown-up. So often when I go and read to them, I team up with them as if I'm one of them against the grown-ups and they adore it. So we, you know, we'll get, like one of the things I'm going to do on this tour is I read David and Goliath, but I, before we read, I get them all to practice. So I, I say to the children, can you, can you do a really scary giant laugh? And we practice. And then I say, okay, children, let's see what the grown-ups are like. Let's try them. And then the grown-ups do it. And I say to the, and they're, they're okay. And I say to the children, well, they're a bit hopeless, aren't they? I'm sure we can do better than that. And so I, they, and they never bat an eyelid. They never sort of think I'm one of the grown-ups. And so, and I don't either. I just feel like I'm more, so it's very fun. And was that, and what was the other part of your question? Um, I can't remember. What is the essence of what you are oh, right. trying to communicate to them in your writing? Yeah. So what I feel very strongly is, I, I sort of touched on this, is that my job is to bring joy to children. And whether that is telling them the gospel through the Jesus Storybook Bible directly, or whether it's coming alongside them when they're, I wrote a book called Skip to the Loo, My Darling, a potty book. And it's to help little ones with potty training. And, and I've just written a book called His Royal Tininess, King Baby. A yes. terrible true story, which is about an older sibling and a baby. And the reason to, the, to me, those are all part of what God's called me to, because like, for instance, the older sibling, I'm an older sister. I remember how traumatic it was when the baby came along. And most books <laughs> I find in that category can tend to be a bit preachy and they can say to the child, look how lovely your baby's, they tell the child what to think, yes. but they don't let the child process their feelings. And what my job is, is to come to the child where they are in their life with real fears and concerns and not patronize them, mm -hmm. not skip over there, but actually help them laugh. Because if you can laugh, it depowers everything. Help them talk about what they're thinking and then see at the end, oh, it's very fun and everything like that. But you've actually let them have their feelings. And that's, you know, like with the potty training, I was thinking, I say to parents and teachers, the way I look at it is, if you told an adult, you know, now without any notice, say to them, now I would like you to stand up in front of 2,000 people and give a speech, how would the adult feel? Yeah. And I say, that's akin to what a toddler feels when you say they have to go potty. There's terror and fear. And so what I do with the potty book is make them laugh. And, and all these crazy characters are skipping to the loo. So why don't you? All that kind of thing. And of course, you and what else rhymes with you which children love so we have a, a big fun you know everyone's at the potty potty poo 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 and they die laughing and and the whole thing becomes it's not it's no longer scary because you've brought it into the light yeah. so yeah. that's a long answer but mm. i feel god is just as pleased with a jesus storybook bible as he is with skip to the loo mm. and i've had to come to that over a long time because i think we can get very rigid about what what is God's work and what is not. I think if you're bringing joy and truth and hope to children, you've got to have the whole range of stories to do that. You can't limit it. Otherwise, you're hurting the child, you know. So that's, that's, that's what I think yeah. is my job. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, as a ministry, our heart is to equip people with, with skills, tools to to study 
the Bible. That's what mm-hmm. God's called called um, precept yeah. to do. To you know to give. So it's a different angle on on that. Um, yeah. Why? why? I, I look at it as sort of pre-evangelism. Those books are drawing the child. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupt you, but no, they no, go on. Skip the loo and his royal tininess. Because I'm a Christian and hope and joy are at the center of my life and in my heart. Everything I do, I believe the Holy Spirit can use to draw a child to him mm. because hope and joy come from him. Mm. <clears throat> whether or not I, in my work, whether or not I've got a Bible story, uh, Bible verse in the book. So yes, my calling is a different one than yours, but we're all kind of leading, all of it leads to Jesus, doesn't um, it? Amen, amen. I mean, do, do you relate to the Bible um, always looking at it with a mind to communicate what you're reading to children or or do you come to the bible yourself devotionally and studying it as an as an adult would or um for yeah. your own for your own you know your own devotions and your own understanding how, how, oh, do, yeah, you, how do you sort of split that split those two yeah sometimes that's hard because you can you know you don't want i i really want to be doing the second you know i always want to i need to be you know you've got to get the oxygen yourself haven't you yes <laughs> i have to you know, I can't just make it like a tool to come at like that. So I always come at it as I need oxygen every day. And unless I'm starting the day with God's word, I'm going to go all over the place. Yep. You know, I need it because I know how crazy my head is. Otherwise, <laughs> I need to remind myself he's my boss. I have to give him my day and keep saying to him, You've given me this job, but it's yours. So you give mm. me the stories and mm. take away this pressure that I can feel when I'm when I do it myself in my own strength. So mm. that's always my goal. Mm. But then every now and then, in my reading, something will pop out, and I'll make a note because it will strike me. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting thing. I could I just make a note. I sort of highlight it and say to look at later for yeah. my work. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you go about studying it yourself? I, I rely a lot on devotionals. Yeah. I, I sort of like to change it up. You know, a year, last year I read, I did the 90-day Bible with a group of friends, and that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I even got through Ecclesiastes, which is very hard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, most people get bogged down in Ecclesiastes. But what was so nice was to have a group of friends. We, we were accountable, so I didn't want to get left behind. So that kept me going, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Mm. But now I'm I'm reading, I love reading Amy Carmichael or Cory Tan Boom. I'm reading uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's book of um, on the Psalms. Right. I sort of change it up a lot. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. Yeah, wonderful. You, um, yeah. Do you have a Do you have a favorite Bible book um, within the Bible? One particular book? Well, it's very hard. Isn't it, it is hard. I, I it is hard. It's a tough I, question. I, I shouldn't have asked you it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's all right. I, can I have two? Well, I love John. Okay. I love one John, and I love John. Okay, why is just that? Just because he's so poetic. He's so poetic and lyrical, and that's my my job is very to be that way. The language, and that's another thing I feel. Growing up with the Bible, it's so incredible. The language that's equipped me, strangely enough. You know, it, well, not strange. That and him, the, what the language is so rich. It's like the best training yep. to train you to love words and use words beautifully. Mm. Um, so I love John, but I also love a passage in 2 Chronicles 20. Hmm. 2 Chronicles 20, that one about, the, you know, we have no power. It's, it's Jehoshaphat, and he has no power against this vast army that's coming. 
yes. to attack us. Yes. But our eyes are on you. When our eyes are not on the army, our eyes are on you. Yes. And that God then they go out and they sing as they head to battle. They sing, which seems so ridiculous, doesn't it? We're going out with little songs, not with a not with spears, and they're not leading with anything except praise and worship. And mm. as they go, God goes ahead of them and ambushes. So when they arrive, there are no more enemies left, and they come back with more than they can carry. To me, that that passage has been a, a really crucial in my life of remembering that's how God works, that when I'm overwhelmed, my job is to praise him, give him everything, praise him, and he, he's the one who goes ahead and sets up ambushes and sorts it out. And I come away with much more. And it's my testimony of what I was talking about with the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's, he's given me so much more than I could ever have imagined through that act of, well, I wouldn't even say obedience because I was struggling and not wanting to write it. But he, he, in spite of all that, he worked out everything. And so that passage is something I love very much. Really, and and um, yeah, a particular. Is there a particular um, Bible verse, or or would that be mm. all those verses, or is there one particular verse that you think you know that's there is my, one. like my life verse, or? Yeah, I love the um, Psalm seventy-three, uh, where he begins looking at everyone else and how everything seems great for the people who don't believe in God and everything's fine and they're all successful. And then he says, yet I am always with you. So so this is Psalm 73, verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wow. So that's one of my most favorites. Oh, amazing. So what, um, apart from your tour that you're doing very soon coming up across the UK, what's next for Sally Lloyd-Jones? Oh, well, we've got a, we're probably going to do another rock star tour bus tour <laughs> next fall. And I'm going to do, it, it looks like I, I, it's all very secret at the moment, but that's exciting. So, so I may be doing, I'll be doing it with a different artist who I better not say yet because it's not official, but so that will be happening in the fall. And then in the spring, I'm hoping to get some writing done. And one of the things I'm working on is a devotional for the Jesus Storybook Bible. We did, um, I sort of, uh, we were, I wrote one called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, which is the follow-up and Jago illustrates it. And it's so I mean, I know it's beautiful because the designer isn't me and the artist isn't me, so I, I think I can say that. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very, every entry is very lean. It's maybe 100 words, and every entry is illustrated. And I called it Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing because I thought there's no child I know who would want to read a devotional. That word sounds horrible to a child. They don't know what it is, but it sounds serious. Yes. So I, I took it away because I didn't want there to be an obstacle for them to read the book. And it's been well received and I'd love to write more, but I've realized unless I put, unless I, I really need to do a Jesus Storybook Bible devotional. And even though it's called a devotional, my prayer is because that way, if it says Jesus Storybook Bible, it'll get more people. And it's really the idea being, you read, not that it's any kind of workbook at all. It's more like, okay, you read the Jesus Storybook Bible and then this is a book that will help the child see how it applies in their life and open them up to thinking things through. Mm. And so that's exciting. So I'm working on that, and then picture books and some other projects. Fantastic. 
Wonderful. Well, it has been um, a great honor for me to hear you today and to hear how the Lord has led you from a very young young Thank girl, you. uh, age four, you said, and uh, all the way to through to what you're doing at the moment. It's like a, it's like a big sort of tapestry that God has yeah. woven together yeah. um, at different stages of your life to bring it to what you're doing now in a wonderful way. And, um, you know, it's just, just fantastic to hear of, of what God's doing in and through you. So I just want to thank you for being uh, on the program today. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. And uh, Well, same to you. Thank you for making time for me, Nigel. I, I'm very honored to be on your broadcast. Oh, you do such great work. Oh, and just, uh, you know, safe travels. Um, have a wonderful time in the UK. I pray each of those evenings, wherever that is, Birmingham or Belfast or London, mm-hmm. are just a great joy and uh, that people see what an awesome God we worship. So, yeah, so. praise God. That would be wonderful. And if anyone wants to know more, they you can always go to my website, which is sallyloydjones.com, and uh, we can get you the details of the events too. God bless you. and um, Thank you, Nigel. God bless you too. Okay, thanks so much. You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Preset Min UK.